Summer's almost here. Yay, right? So, when's the last time you tried on your swimsuits and summer clothes? If you could get back into summer shape in one visit, would you do it? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I am live on location at Cooperstown, New York. Actually, I'm not about an hour and a half away at my sister's house. But I am headed to Cooperstown with the kids for the first time in 25 years, Lance, in just a few minutes after we get off this show. So we got to hurry up and make it quick. Lance, Let's how's it going, buddy? I'm doing well, Ralph. I'm doing well, man. I'm going to see uh, Brewers Dodgers tonight. So uh, I think Ooh. it's Rich Hill Wade Miley. That's a that's uh, a very very uh, not great matchup, but you know, <laughs> baseball's driving, baseball. <laughs> you're driving to Milwaukee. Yes, Miller Park. I will be having multiple Miller Lights because I'm sure that's all they sell there, right? In the water, it's just Miller Lights. It's actually what the water is. Did you realize? <laughs> did you realize that uh, Milwaukee is Indian for the good land? Have I did not know that. Yeah, then you haven't seen Wayne's World because uh, I have not seen Wayne's Wayne. World. Yeah, wow, oh, wow, that's showing that, my that's cultural deficiency here. Oh, it's, it's showing your age, actually. You just, <laughs> yeah, it's I'm true. just, I'm just old as I'm old AF. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I have uh, worn out AF uh, expressions and references that I throw out there. But no, at one point, uh, Wayne and Garth live in Aurora, Illinois, which is not too far outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. They drive from Aurora to Milwaukee to go to an Alice Cooper concert and go backstage and hang out with Alice Cooper. And they're expecting like this rock and roll good time. 
and Alice Cooper's backstage, like just dropping some some factual knowledge on everybody about Milwaukee and its uh, its Indian past. All right. Well, I hope I run into Alice Cooper at the at the Brewers game. That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, ask him to feed your Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Ralph, we got a lot of news here. Um, I feel like we do. There, there isn't a lot of times where trades go down where massive prospects get dealt. I don't know if you'd consider Yusnel Diaz or, or Francisco Mejia a massive prospect. I might lean towards that with Mejia. So I'm interested, Ralph. Let's dig right into this. Manny Machado for Yusnel Diaz, Dean Kremer, Ryland Bannon, Zach Pop, and Brevek Valera. The only piece there that seems to be of higher quality is, is Yusnel Diaz. The outfielder, obviously, righty bat. Two home runs in the Futures game. On two pitches that I think were were both pretty high in velocity, showed some of his bat speed there. I really like his swing. I've heard a lot that he just barrels absolutely everything he hits, which is great. Mm-hmm. But I, I've also seen some takes that maybe he isn't really a a centerpiece, a, a a piece for the Orioles to build around. You know, maybe he doesn't really slot in even ahead of guys like Mountcastle and Hayes on the Orioles list now. What are your thoughts on Yusniel Diaz? Um, yeah, see, I can agree on Mountcastle because I think that Mountcastle just has that contact power and he's really been showing it since he's come back from the hand. I mean, he's been, it seems like he gets stronger and stronger as the year goes on. Um, that power contact profile. I think there's very few guys that have that natural hitting ability. Um, yep. if only he could go back to his, his high school swing, right? Lance. Um, <laughs> but in terms of him over Hayes, I, I have him over Hayes and I'm, I'm pretty comfortable doing that. I don't, I don't really have, um, any, any qualms about, that rank. I mean, I had, uh, I had used Neil Diaz. Let me, let me check here. Yeah. I thought I had it right in front of me. No problem. Uh, uh, I could tell you oh, that I had in- seven, I had him 57. So, okay. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm real, I'm relatively high on, on Diaz. Are there other guys that I thought were, you know, maybe more impactful fantasy players? Yes. I think there's a lot, uh, you know, obviously 50 plus, um, a lot of them, I think really it, it comes down to, higher upside. I think he's a good across the board sort of player uh, that it wouldn't shock me if he had a similar impact to maybe like, like an Adam an Adam Jones, you know, where okay, I like there's some speed, there's contact, there's some ability in the field and he could play multiple outfield spots. Um, and there's some power as well. And I think it ticks up over the course of time. His approach is a little bit different than, than um, Adam Jones, that he's not like just a, a a total like, you know, contact first type of guy, mm-hmm. you know, he does, uh, he does have the ability to, to take a walk. I mean, we've seen the at double a this year, he's got a 15.5% walk rate. So yeah. the approach is very different than Jones, but he's a low strikeout, good contact, good on base guy. And I think we'll see the power play at two homers in the futures game. And we'll talk about a little bit later. So, mm-hmm. uh, and he's another guy that I think, you know, maybe was a reporter read for Ben Badler when he was doing some digging around the futures game, watching BP, um, just talking to guys, you know, Ben's a great reporter, obviously over with baseball America. And he was really struck with how many balls. I know you mentioned this. He barrels up how consistent he is just in terms of, um, the plane of, you know, his bat path through the zone, the good plate coverage. Um, that's the stuff that matters at the MLB level. And I don't think he's going to be overmatched. I don't think, you know, he's got a hitch in his swing and, you know, velocity in the upper part of the zone is going to, you know, take him off guard. I, you know, he hit two fastballs that were up in the zone for homers in the futures game. Mm -hmm. So I think, I I think he's a guy that's going to have a really nice floor. The ceiling's not all that exciting. Now, I think on the other side of things, everyone gets all worked up into a frenzy about, 
all of these names and how bad the returns are. We spent an entire offseason of this with the Marlins, with um, you know Ozuna moving, and of course Giancarlo Stanton and, and D. Gordon. We've seen some of those guys be better than I think a lot of folks that were just quite honestly ignorant to who these players were perform a lot better. I mean, even Nick Niedert has been a really good prospect this year. He's had a really good year. I mean, he's popped onto top 100 list, not something like mine because it's fantasy focused and really needed is like, kind of like, ugh. I mean, how exciting could he be for fantasy? But, um, I, I think it just goes to show number one, people don't know what they're talking about when it comes to prospects. They really don't know these players. A lot of them look at stat lines. A lot of them are regurgitating a report that might be a year and a half old that they found from a Google search. And then they take it as gospel and they know everything about every prospect that ever lived. And that's what's, that's what's frustrating for someone like me, where we put in the amount of time that we do to get to know who these guys are. And then the general consensus goes and takes an idea and then they sort of run with it, whether it's actually rooted in reality and rooted in the most recent information or not, because just like with major leaguers, minor leaguers are always progressing. They're always changing. They're getting better. They're getting worse. Things are getting exposed. They're making adjustments. That's what the game's about. We talk about that every week. That's what development is. And I, you know, I think it's something that I've had a lot more conversations about since I've been working on the 500 and then, you know, obviously that, that came out this, uh, this, this past Sunday Ooh. and yeah, exactly. A little, little <laughs> shameless plug. Um, but I, I, I had kind of come to the conclusion that like the difference between hitters and pitchers is the hitters sort of get to that plateau. Like they sort of plateau a lot earlier where pitchers, I feel like there's guys like Justin Verlander who have had like three different lives already in the majors. You know, there's been three different versions of Justin Verlander because pitchers, I feel like are always sort of developing. So where I'm going mm-hmm. with all this, cause I know I got an, off on a crazy tangent, but I think that we're uh, Diaz is a major league player. He's a major league quality talent. He has a, a lot of intangibles across the board in terms of his skills, what he can do on the field. Is he going to be a franchise player? No, but Manny Machado doesn't have that much control. Even if the Dodgers are able to throw, you know, some absurd number, $300 million, $400 million at Manny Machado and lock him up long term. I really think that that is um, just totally should be removed from this trade because that's something they could have done on the open market anyway. They just happened to pay for a showcase for a few months and say, hey, Manny, you really want to stay in L.A.? Here's why. Here's what we can do. I know I, I might have brought it up last week on this show, or I think I brought it up in the Rasball show, but it's kind of what the this different sport, but it's kind of what the Lakers didn't do with Paul George, but the Oklahoma City Thunder did do with Paul George. And Paul George resigned in Oklahoma City and yeah. didn't go to L.A., which was sort of a foregone conclusion a year ago. So I think that that's going to play into it. But ultimately, they got a major league player. They got a back end of the rotation arm in Kramer who has some upside. I think Ryland Bannon's bat is legit. It wouldn't shock me if he if he forces his way to the majors in the next couple of years. He can hit. It's more than just the Cal League. There's good contact there. I mean, he's got that crazy aggressive leg kick. Um, but he's got some pop and he's got some thunder in the bat as well. The fielding has been an issue. I know it's second and third. He's been a bit of a butcher, which is kind of funny because he came into baseball, uh, you know, his professional career sort of considered a glove first guy. I, I think there's something there. I know the other two, one being a, a, a reliever. And then I think like a low minors kid that I'm not mm-hmm. all that familiar with. Cause I don't, unless you really jump out in the low minors, I'm not necessarily going to have a full scouting report on you. And uh, I don't really care about 
relief prospects. But yeah, I, I don't think the return was bad. There was this big thing about the return being so awful. And I'm like, I, I what did you think he would, th- what did you think they were going to get? If, if somebody was willing to put up a bigger star, the deal would have been done. Yeah, and I mean, they yeah. were talking with the Brewers. They were talking with the Yankees, you know, all these other teams that have sort of been rumored. They had players to deal. And this is probably the best guy they could get. I, I don't, I know that the, the, the Orioles are incompetent. We love to sort of crap on them, but um, this was a much better deal than J than uh, the Tigers got for JD Martinez by a significant margin. This mm. was better than that deal. I think it was better than the return for Marcelo Zuna. And I think you could probably make a very good case. It was better than the return for Giancarlo Stanton. You know I, I, I mean? agree. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm so, not. Yeah. So based on the market, what are you basing these expectations on returns on? I, I gotta be honest. If, if, if Twitter has made me freaking crazy the last week, cause I feel <laughs> like everybody has had garbage takes. I've been, I've been dealing with like garbage left and right from people throwing stuff out there that it's like, <laughs> It's it's almost like it's almost like we're changing reality just to have confirmation bias in our own beliefs or a player that we missed on. I'm like, uh, like I'm glad to admit when I'm totally freaking wrong about a prospect, and I'm going to talk about one tonight that was in the futures game that I was totally freaking wrong about as of like a week and a as of like a week and a half ago. So um, that's that's my little tangent on the uh, the Machado return, but I I didn't think. I didn't think it was bad, and I think that Diaz um, is a controllable player for them for a while. And you know, I guess this is what—I mean, this is the joke that everyone's making. But and I think you have it actually on the notes. But I guess this is what Baltimore has to do because they don't go into the international market. Yeah. They get to wait till these guys get developed by the Dodgers and then bring them over. I, I agree. I mean, I, I like this. I like this package back. I think that in terms of that, if you if you take that as assumption and you stop knocking the Orioles for being incompetent in terms of the international market, they get five players back. Like this is effectively them signing a couple players from the international market. You know, they're a little bit further along in terms of guys like Ryland Bannon, Zach Pop, and Bravik Valera. I think Bravik's more of a more of a defensive first guy, and Zach Pop, as you said, is kind of a reliever. Ryan Bannon like his bat, and then Dean Kramer absolutely slaughtered the Cal League this year, and I think he got called to Tulsa and dealt in his first start. And, yep. and then you look back to Eastern Diaz, you mentioned two things that were interesting. One is the fact that, you know, sc- excuse me, scanning reports on these guys might be outdated. And th- I think this applies very well to, to Diaz because it, there was a lot that changed with him. His, his walk rate's up 7% to 15. His, his K rate's down 10% at the same level year over year. The kid's 21 years old. The distribution on his batted ball is fantastic. He's an off-fields guy. He stays inside the ball really well. We saw that in the All-Star game, um, in the, excuse me, in the Futures game. I like him. I think he's a great piece back. Like, I... I think that in terms of this could have gone a lot worse is I think what I'm trying to say. Cause they, yeah. they, there seemed to be this general opinion that the more the Orioles waited, the less that was going to be on the table. Whereas it didn't really seem like that. Like we didn't really no. have too much confirmation in terms of what was on the table in the off season, what was on the table during the winter meetings, would they trade him then? Would they trade him whenever? And, and then the names copping up around the trade deadline where guys like Corbin Burns, guys like Adonis Medina from the Phillies. I don't yeah. really know what was on the table for the Yankees. I couldn't really understand that. Maybe it was Sheffield. Maybe it wasn't, but yeah, but knows? you still, this is a great, I, I like this return. I think this is one of the moves of the last couple seasons, I guess, that the Orioles have made. That is a, a good move. I, I 60 day rental for Manny Machado, sure. Maybe the Dodgers think they have a 40 to 60 percent chance of resigning him, which is maybe one of the reasons why they tossed in some of the other guys. If they thought they had 100 percent, maybe they weren't telling the Orioles that. Maybe there was communication between Machado and obviously the cohorts in, in LA that were going to resign him. There's a lot of things in play here that I think sway this trade in other ways, but. I like it. I, I'd grade it out probably as like a B plus. Honestly, I think it's a. I think it's a very. It's a nice trade. I think it's a great return for the Orioles. Um, 
like to jump now to to obviously one of the bigger trades that happened yesterday that I really wasn't expecting at all. I figured maybe Brad Hanna was going somewhere. I didn't think he'd be packaged with Adam Simber, and then I didn't think he'd get back a guy like Francisco Mejia. It seems like time and time again we get these trades where relievers are dealt, and one of the biggest returns is a really good prospect. We, we saw this with Gleber yeah. and Chapman. Like I'm, I've been relatively surprised with a lot of this. Like teams willing to give up very good prospects for relievers that are are, are successful that. I know can maybe put up two war over a certain period of time, which is really good for a reliever. I know reliever war is a very touchy subject for a lot of people on a lot of sites, but Brad Hand's been unbelievable. Adam Simber has arguably, arguably been better than Brad Hand this year alone. I think a lot of people have overlooked that and how good the Padres' bullpen is. And the Padres' bullpen, I mean, that might be the most underrated bullpen in baseball. Like, that bullpen's still not even that bad with some of the guys they have. I think Craig Stammen's thrown well. They got a lot of weird yeah. guys in that pen that are just dealing and they get back Mejia, and now a lot of people are calling the Padres' farm system route the top farm system in baseball. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's true. I think if you look at um, you know, my rankings and just in terms of number of players, I believe that they were number one um, within my top 500 with the number of players that they had listed. I think it was in the 20s. I'll tell you right now. Sure, sure. It, it was, and this is out, there was 30 players in my top 500 and that's before Francisco Mejia was acquired. So there's now 31. Nice. And if you want to look at the top 100, they have one, two, this is including Mejia, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten, eleven. 10, you know, and yeah. I think that like Morhan, who is not my top 100, but isn't like Baseball America's top 25, I think it's just reflective of um, the type of value in fantasy versus reality for a player like that. Even like Logan Allen, I think you could make a case for top 100 on um, to be based on his performance and being a lefty that can miss bats. Um, and I guess I guess Framo Reyes, if it was a more of an ETA sort of a list and potential short term impact, I think you could throw him up there. And that's before you get into some of these guys that, you know, have some great long term value um, or a guy that I'm going to talk about in a little bit who I sort of alluded to before, which is Buddy Reed. I'm, I'm yeah. much more impressed by like on, on the daily, the more that I. I dig in on Reed and feel like I really missed the boat with him. But I think the system is awesome. And I think that if you don't appreciate what Preller has done since the experiment where he tried to build a winning team, and even if you look back, it's so funny, go look at what he traded for Justin Upton. It was like Max, yeah. it was like Max Freed, Dustin Peterson, like Max Freed was the best player of that deal, and he got a year and a half or whatever out of two years out of Justin Upton. Yeah, That was worth it. If you really think about what the return was there and the kind of player that Upton was at that point in time and what they were trying to do, can you really blame him for trying to go in when he first got there? Hey, I can make all these deals with lower-level prospects I don't necessarily love. They're not my guys. And then at worst, I can take those guys – and then turn them into players I like or turn them into cash that's then available on my books. Because that's what happened with Kemp and that's what happened with Upton is eventually those deals became cash that was available on their books to spend on other players, whether it be Hosmer, you know, you know, anybody that they decide to extend or just going into the international market that, you know, back in 2016 where they went, you know, absolutely apeshit and signed like half the class and they had all these talented players. We've seen many of them now matriculate the full season bowl over the last year and a half. And it's a phenomenal class. And I just think that so much of what Preller has done has gone under the radar because there hasn't been MLB success. And we base everything off of that, where I think that he's slowly building a freaking death star 
this team is going to come in and just start destroying that division as the Dodgers get old. Some of their pitching breaks down. They're always going to have the resources to go out and sign players. But um, when you have a lot of controllable players and a lot of assets that are then blocked, you can then start to make a lot of interesting moves to sort of fortify your rotation, your bullpen, and any, any holes that you have in your lineup. And uh, I think that's what we're approaching with Preller here. And he took a guy that, let's, let's not forget, they added Brad Hand off of waivers. They added him off of waivers, okay? Simber's an older prospect. They took two of those guys that were more or less like waiver wire scrap heap guys. Think about this like your fantasy league. And then turned it into one of the most mm-hmm. desirable prospects. Debatable. Certainly, um, uh, there's some argument as to how good Francisco Mejia is, how much impact he'll have for fantasy. But I don't think anyone can deny that he has been a consensus top 50 prospect. And I'm being pretty nice there by saying top 50. It's probably more like top 25 over the last year and a half. And I think a lot of it is based off of the bat. Um, And then one thing I'll say on Mejia, too, is I think our expectations for where he should be with his development behind the plate are wildly out of whack in comparison to what they would be for um, a a player that's, you know, was a draft eligible guy. He's 22 years old, 22 year old catcher. There's a lot of catchers that get drafted at 22 that they're like, Hey, you still need some work behind the plate. And we're more than willing to give them two years to develop, you know, those, those receiving skills. And if, the Padres are committed to him at catcher. They're not going to jerk around them at all. Maybe he's not going to be a gold glove or anything close to that, but maybe he can be a serviceable, serviceable everyday catcher. He has the arm, you know, you can improve framing. You can improve your, your pitch calling skills. That's a matter of just getting to know your pitchers and just working, working on stuff on a daily basis. And, and you know, if he is willing to put in the work and he, brought, he wants to be a catcher, which is all signs that he does want to be a catcher, Uh, You know, I don't see why he can't make improvements. This is a lot like with Gary Sanchez. Sanchez at one point, you know, before he had a breakout defensively in the Arizona Fall League, everyone was really writing off the fact that he would ever be a catcher. And, you know, he's not great, but he's been a catcher, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's 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 see what happens. I think everyone's sort of writing off uh, Mejia's career behind the plate uh, is 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 a little hasty. It's a little it's a little bit early to do that, in my opinion. I, I I agree with you. I think one of the more interesting things here is that catcher tag that Preller did place on Mejia as he came over because I'm most interested. My interpretation of, of Preller saying that Mejia is a catcher is basically their way of saying, we'll give him like two years to maybe maybe three years at catcher sure. to see if he could become like the starting catcher every day. There's always been concerns about his actual receiving, as you're saying, the general feel of him behind the plate he's only 5'10 180 as Fangraphs has him he's undersized and his arm is the key here and this is obviously this draws the comp and not physically but just in terms of defensively behind the plate to Gary Sanchez because Sanchez is an arm first catcher he's got a fantastic arm but the receiving and all the other parts of defense that maybe go into DRS for catchers a little bit more than a pure arm does is one of the reasons why I think a lot of people in New York were like we need Gary Sanchez out of the plate you know get him off the plate send him to first base and it's like well the, the value he has with his arm and the value he neutralizes with the run game is an is a plus. You know, maybe yeah. if we can't quantify that that well. That's just an issue in the valuation of DRS. So with Mejia, I think to myself, well, is it just that, or are there other things around this? Like, are they going to give him time to become an average fielder with a with an elite arm because he has an 
an elite arm? Or is it going to be more of a scenario where Preller lets him develop for a few years and then just kind of moves him to another spot? And at that point, that's when I'm interested to see whether the offensive baseline of what he has to produce goes in a direction that maybe makes him more average than a plus player. And, and again, that's two to three years down the road. That's, again, a pessimistic scenario where he doesn't develop yeah. behind the plate. But if he develops behind the plate, you're getting a guy with exceptional back control. He's a 60-grade hit tool. I don't think we have many catchers with future 60 hit tools. I mean, you could even probably go on to 65-70 on it if you really want. His back control is fantastic. One of the reasons why that's not – I actually, yeah. I'll, I'll leave him on 60. The, one of the reasons why he's not 70 is because the pitch recognition is not that great. But he compensates, it for, he compensates for that with the fact that he's so good with his barrel control. So – I, I like Mahina a lot. I think it's a fantastic ad. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where he'd slot in on the Padres organizational list. Probably like he's got to be like three, four, right? Behind Tati's, behind Gore, um, behind Urias, maybe. No, probably in front of Urias, right? Yeah, I probably would have him. Um, I'll go three I'd, with him. I'd, I'd have him. I'd have him two, just okay, because I, I have Gore. Gore. I have Gore a little bit lower. Okay, um, that's just, fair. Just due to the nature of pitching, but yep, yeah, I'd, yep. I'd have him two right now. Um, I think there's a case that could be made that, you know, maybe Urias is, is pretty close because I mean, so, so many of these guys outside of like the top 10 are pretty close, like 14 and 27 isn't all that far. Yeah. Oh, so, agreed, agreed. Um, yeah, no, I know. I think I agree with that. And I, I think that, um, yeah, it's an easy 60 hit. It could be better than that. You know, as he improves pitch recognition will improve as well. I don't think it's like, it's not like he's, you know, Sui Mateus. It's like swinging the balls, <laughs> like, you know, like five feet off the plate yeah. and like <laughs> that have like, like th- that was a wild pitch. Suli. Why did you swing at that? <laughs> um, it's not, it's not one of those situations, but yeah, I mean, I, I, the fact that he's a switch hitter and there is, you know, he does sting the ball a little bit. I mean, and since he's had the struggles the first month of the season, and I, I don't think we can undersell the fact that he was working on multiple new positions and they were kind of jerking him around with that. And that has been shown to have an impact on players long-term. I know that I think Xander Bogart's first year, I think back in 2014, after they won the, the world series in 2013, and he had come up and been, you know, a, a pretty important um, addition, you know, to that team late in the season and, and along that, that run to the world series, they moved him to third base and he was never really comfortable there. And it impacted his hitting. They moved him back to short and his, offensive numbers ticked up the next season. I, I think these guys are human. That happens. You know, I think too often we forget that sort of stuff. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I like me. I think this is again, another good return. I'm, we didn't get a trade yeah, where I, I we didn't get a the, trade where we're like, Oh my God, why on earth? Like, where's the valuation wrong here? And I think that's, that's healthy <laughs> for baseball, honestly, because we see the, we see the understanding by the Indians. I know you, you were mentioning to me last night, you're not maybe the most aggressive on the Indians in terms of their path going forward this season, which I agree with. Cause I mean, you have three powerhouses in the AL, but but with the Indians, I think the interesting thing is that they get the buy-in from the division, so they autom- they only have to face two of those three teams to get uh, to the World Series. So, and they and they match up really well with their rotation. I think they have a better rotation than both the Red Sox and the Yankees. So, um, it's interesting. I think this is it, it's good. I think it's almost a bit of compensation for the fact that Andrew Miller hasn't been Andrew Miller too. And I think Simber's really sure. underrated. Honestly, we keep talking about hand, but Simber's a really good pitcher. Yeah, he, Simber's he's good. come out of nowhere. So, um, again, yeah, Preller, no, I, don't, I think I don't it's think good it's for both bad, sides. I don't think it's a bad ad. I just don't think. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything because it will, it will automatically automatically be Boston bias. <laughs> I I just I, quite honestly I I just don't buy the narrative that that Sale is gonna suck in the playoffs forever. Oh, I don't, I don't either. Buy, absolutely. 
I don't buy the narrative that price will necessarily suck in the playoffs forever either. And, you know, I, I would probably take Severino over Corey Kluber at this yeah, point. And I, I would agree and anyone that. can argue with me that they want, I, I would take Severino over Corey Kluber. Mm-hmm. I would. Um, and we saw, wrong with that. and we, you know, we, and we saw, we saw the Yankees face the Astros and give them a damn good fight last year. So yeah, yeah. I'm not willing to write them off. And the Red Sox are much improved. That lineup is probably the best in baseball. I mean, you got JD Martinez, Andrew Benintendi, and Mookie Betts right in the middle yeah. of that lineup, Bogarts and some other players. They just need to add some more pitching, you know? Mm-hmm. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply. Stop, stop, stop. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 323232 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 323232 now text grade to 323232 um, yeah, I, 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 I can't go out there and just say that like, Oh, here we go. Cleveland's yep. going to the world series. Like, no, you didn't make the word. You didn't make the, you didn't make the ALCS last year. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like calm down guys. But I, I think that, uh, it's a, it's sorry, Cleveland fans. It's a honk fan base. It's like Pittsburgh. It's a honk fan base. It's, it's a fan base where they're not critical of their teams, mm. you know? They're not critical. It's why it's why they let LeBron just crap all over him and wipe wipe his ass with their face, and they're, they're like, "Thank you for the championship." In Boston, we'd be burning his house. Down, <laughs> yeah, right? I will agree with that. Uh, New York, they <laughs> burn his house down. Philadelphia, they burn his house down. Chicago, they burn his house down. Sorry, but those those are the fan bases, you know. Yeah. St. Louis wouldn't tolerate that either, and I just think it's 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 a Cleveland thing. Mm-hmm. Cleveland's like a Cleveland's like an, an aggressive frat. Bye, Cleveland listeners. I'd like to take a quick break right here to mention our favorite sponsor, our only sponsor, Rotoware.com. Rotoware.com makes some of the the best, not some of, the best fantasy sports t-shirts on the market right now. Rotoware.com. Sagnoff is our promo code. Plug that in. I think it gets you about 20% off. It doesn't get you 20% off on the Rotoware Classic designs, but those are on Amazon.com. Just type in Rotoware. You could search through uh, six or seven pages now, or I don't know, maybe I'm overshooting that, but he's got a ton. He's got an amazing stock of shirts. You get you get 20 of them, 30 of them, 40 of them. Add them all to your cart. 
plug in that promo code, send me and Ralph a picture on Twitter, and we'll like it. We won't do anything else, but we'll like it, and Kenny will like it too, because I know Kenny would appreciate any any business you could give him, because the, the amount of work he's put into these designs is unbelievable. Um, he's had some awesome ones recently regarding the NBA and LeBron, LA Bron, he's got it, LeBron. Obviously, he's moved over to the Lakers, but you know what? I don't care about that. I care about guys like James Paxton and Mitch Hanniger and Tyler O'Neill and Juan Soto and... Um, other people too I can't remember right now because I'm stumbling over my words Gleber Torres he's got a Gleber Torres shirt Maximus Muncy shirt is a fantastic one obviously showed up pretty well in the home run derby over the weekend but uh but rotoware.com is the place to be for all your fantasy shirt needs. Check them out. Buy some shirts for the summer. Buy some shirts for the winter. Make sure you have layers for when the cold comes back. I'm not looking forward to that. But uh, Or, you know, go to the gym. Cut off the sleeves on it. Make it a shirt. Rep rotoware wherever you can. Rotoware.com. Sagnoff's our promo code. At rotoware on Twitter and Instagram. I feel like we don't give Instagram enough love. So at rotoware on Instagram too. And at Kenneth underscore Cashman. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we're going to the Futures game, so bye, Cleveland listeners. Uh, but yeah, we can transition now into the Futures game, Ralph. Um, obviously, Sunday, great game as always. I caught uh, multiple parts of this in different angles. I watched like the fourth through the eighth inning, and then I went back and watched a little bit of the first couple innings of the highlights of those innings. There was a lot of, I mean, number one, there was a lot of home runs. So I initially, when Cabrian Hayes and some other guys went deep early, I was like, oh, wow, this, this would be the kind of highlights, like these home runs. And then so many people home runs almost eight. Eight home runs to the point where it diluted everyone's individual home run. So, like, Basabe went deep, Taylor <laughs> Trammell went deep, and all these other guys went deep. And, like, everyone forgot Cabrian Hayes went deep. And Eusebio Diaz, like, just completely kind of people pushed aside that he had two home runs. It was it was exciting. I think that there was a lot of moments in this where where either you change an opinion on a prospect, you confirm an opinion on a prospect. And I think that's the key to this game. It's just you get a really good look at the guys. You get a look at the guys against much higher level pitching, guys that are throwing one, two innings, who you normally throw five or six. Their Vila might have been up a little bit. Almost everyone has good breaking stuff. Like, it's great. And then, I mean, I talked about this on the last show, too, where I love seeing the lower level guys against the higher level pitching. And I think that's one of the key things in terms of just understanding how the breaking ball recognition is a very other, a lot of other things you can't really get a gauge on in the lower minors and in, in like the Midwest or something like that because the pitching just isn't that great. So jumping into specifics of this, Ralph, I'm going to put a couple things. Maybe we go back and forth. I know you have two guys you want to talk about specifically. I wanted to bring up, I, I think that because I've seen Hunter Green live and we saw him in this game too and he threw mm-hmm. like 102 point whatever, rounded up to 103. Low and <laughs> into Luis Alexander Basabe, obviously Winston-Salem Dash player. Or did he get called up to... Uh, uh, whatever, double A high or yeah. double A now? He's in double A. Uh, he's in double A. Okay, so Basabi's in double A now, and he takes this ball to right center deep. And for me, that was almost just a little bit of confirmation that maybe Hunter Green's fastball is a little bit flat. And it's insane to think because we just normally don't see a guy who could hit you know, triple digits consistently like this. We haven't seen one since like Noah Syndergaard. It's really easy velocity. I'd almost argue his mechanics are less explosive than a guy like Noah Syndergaard, and he's able to touch, oh, yeah. able to touch this velocity, which is just bonkers. He's just so smooth. His separation it's like he's is playing unbelievable. Catch. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just he's the definition of easy velocity. But but the pitch might be flat. You know what? I saw him. He was only sitting like ninety four to ninety six max. Um, and the pitch up in the zone is really good, which happens a lot with low spin fastballs. Is that's a general kind of consensus thing is to bring up a low pitch, low excuse me, low spin fastball up in the zone to make it a little more effective and have it play up. But down in the zone, the pitch got hit, got hit really hard by a guy that doesn't is really known necessarily for his power. I would say Basabe, you know, and I was surprised by that. I just I. I I wasn't sure if it was just maybe something I was seeing in Dayton the time I saw him. I want to make sure I go back out and see him again. I know I don't like making radical assumptions off a of one start of a guy or even a one start of a hitter or anything like that. Um, but I, 
I think it might be flat. I think the fastball might be flat. I don't know if it's going to be an issue until he hits maybe something like double A. But he's had some games where the fastball just gets touched. And even though it's hitting super high velocity, it still is a pitch that is you can square up. And it's not it's not going to blow people away. But the thing that will blow people away is how he sequences everything. So if he's able to develop a good mm. changeup, which is a pitch I, I know he's willing to throw. I haven't seen it thrown too much. But the fact that he's willing to throw it in a league like Midwest League for Dayton is, is encouraging to me, I think. And... I, I like his slider. I think the slider's plus as well. So I like Hunter Green overall. I'm not knocking him at all. I just think that maybe once he gets up to high A, once he gets up to double A, and we start to understand that maybe the stats aren't matching what we know is the pedigree for him, they start to make some adjustments. Maybe he brings in a two-seamer. Maybe there's another pitch. Maybe there's something like a cut fastball he starts to develop. It'd be really interesting. The development is really the thing I want to highlight with Hunter Green because I find mm-hmm. him fascinating. Again, we go back to the easy velocity, but you know, maybe yeah. he hasn't played up as much as we hoped. So there's there's... You just got to be patient with guys like this. You have to be patient with young pitchers. What do you What do you think about a guy like him with that fastball? And it's awful because I think Harold Reynolds was actually the one that brought this up. And I, okay. I wanted Harold Reynolds to be muted the entire Futures game. <laughs> but that's an entirely different story. And I also don't care about coach cutaways. I know, I know some people think yeah. they're great. I don't care what Ortiz and Torrey Hunter I know, I know. Say. They've probably I never seen any of those guys aside from uh, the time they went saw BP. So. Yeah, I, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to watch these guys play. Yeah. Um, but th- the thing is, is I wonder if he challenged guys up with the fastball and was, you know, less working low in the zone and more up in the zone with the fastball. If the results would be better or worse. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder because I think that everybody's such a good low ball hitter nowadays. You know, that's the whole thing with launch angle and everything else. Is I think you know, sort of combat the. Um, the development and sort of the push toward ground ball pitchers. And we saw that a few years ago, it seems like, you know, once the launch angle stuff and all that stuff happened, it was sort of to combat those guys that were working in the lower half uh, of the zone and trying to force a lot of those, those ground balls. Now, you know, guys are able to, to get down and those get around on them. And, and I think, you know, uh, as much as we want to knock uh, a greens fastball for being straight, and it, it does seem like it's very, very straight. I think we should also give some kudos to Louis Alexander uh, Basabi for getting around and turning on that 102 miles. <laughs> yeah, I'll that give basketball. I'll give him that absolutely. They're prob- they're, I don't think Chris I don't think Chris Davis could do that. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot <laughs> of guys in major leagues. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty impressive, and he drove that ball to right center. That was a shot. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was impressive. It was really nice to see. He had a bit of a flub in the field, and then showed off the the nice arm uh, that he has got an absolute rifle out there in the outfield so i think he's a future major leaguer i think he's a guy that i, I snuck onto my you know my top 100 i like wasabi a lot and uh i was glad to see that he had a homer little little factoid did you realize that Yusniel diaz is only one of two players all time to have a two homer game in the futures game who's the other one alfonso soriano in the oh, inaugural wow. 1998 uh, had two homers. So it hasn't been done in 20 years. It just goes to show you that, uh, what he did was pretty special, how this game was an anomaly. And the fact that, uh, Taylor Trammell just missed being the third guy by a couple of inches, he did, but yeah. gave us, uh, one of the more memorable and entertaining moments. I'd say I felt bad for the kid. Cause you could tell that, you know, even though he's got the third amazingly on that ball and still scored. So really, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, you could tell he was a little embarrassed that he threw up the deuces for the second homer and <laughs> the ball didn't drop. I mean, he missed it by a matter of inches. I so know. 
unfortunately for him, but he showed very well. And that's the reason he got the futures game MVP. And uh, I know if you were tracking some of the information that was matriculating out from all the different prospect sites that were there, Scott Green was there. Yeah, Jason yeah. Woodell was there. Paul Martin was there, but also, you know, Ben Badler, Eric Longenhang, and all the big names were there. Um, unfortunately, everybody but us was there. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Sorry. I can't drive. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I got three kids. I gotta, I gotta watch my family. Uh, you get enough out of me. Plus the 500 drop that day. So, um, but you saw how good the batting practice was from Tramel. Logan Hagen had some great shots. If you haven't seen it, go back onto his Twitter and check it out. Uh, he actually put like little heat map marks, you know. I like that. Yeah. Where, Over where the, the stadium, right? Dropped. And you could see that, you know, Tramel was really showing off some pretty tremendous all fields power. Uh, tremendous Taylor Tramel. There's some alliteration for you. So I, I was really excited to see him. Um, I don't know if you want to jump into Suli and, and Tatis here, or if you want me to kick it over to me and I can talk about a couple of guys that uh, stuck out to me. One in particular. I'll talk. I'll talk a little bit. You know, we we transition from Tramel. So Tramel, yeah, that's I honestly that's a name that impressed me a little bit because I don't think I've ever been fully sold on Tramel, which may be in the minority. I know you've been a huge, huge fan of him for a lot of time. I I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just lower level production. I don't know if it was me thinking that maybe some of the the pedigree on him was based on speed. But I was really impressed. Yeah, the batting average too. I was really <laughs> impressed. I he scorched that home run. He hit. He popped that ball. He, again, you said he almost had the second one. I I enjoyed what I saw overall. I have to say the looks that I got in this game. I think that I'm kind of probably coming more to the consensus on him than I was possibly in being a little bit lower on him. I like his mechanics and his swing a lot. I don't think it's too much of a bad rap. Um, his hands are a little low. He's got a very very simple lower half, which I like too. And the Babels, the fact that he has a simple lower half and he's able to generate that much power. Um, on that swing in particular, I don't know if it's shown up maybe in his minor league stats. I think it has to some extent possibly getting better in that respect. But I enjoyed what I saw. I liked Taylor Trammell a lot. And then Twitter was also buzzing about guys like Fernando Tatis. I know that was one of the reasons why I saw, I think it was Keith Law's top prospect list. I didn't get to see it. I don't have ESPN Insight or whatever. But I think that he has Tatis one overall. And I, I want to say to some extent, I again, disagree with that. We both have Vlad number one. There's no question on that. But I think that to some extent, a lot of people got a really good look at Fernando Tatis in this game. He had a terrible April, really good May, having a fantastic June and July. One of those things where he's producing now. Everyone really likes him. He's up in double A. He's a higher level. He's really, really young. He's probably going to stick at shortstop. There's a lot of aligning factors in terms of Fernando Tatis that a lot of people are really, really buying into. And I think that this was one of the bigger stages that he's been on so far. He was, this is a big stage for a lot of guys. I think a lot of guys almost like they're coming out party to some extent. And Tatis had a really good BP round. And from what I heard on Twitter, I know other people kind of were just more like, you know, didn't really show power for some other guys, but Tatis seemed to be spraying everywhere, hitting a bunch of home runs. And then another guy who stood out on the BP side of things was Suli Matias, who I got to look at in Lexington. I probably am lower than most on Suli just because I think that there's substantial swing and miss there. I think that if you put him in the major mm-hmm. leagues right now, he's like a 50% strikeout guy, probably 60, which is not good, but you have to admit that the power is just bonkers and the bat speed is bonkers because of what he's able to do with BP yes. balls and how far he's able to hit him, you know, with that long and Hagen overlays of spray charts and stuff. Um, so again, that's another round of BP that obviously on the power side of things impressed. Helio Ramos very quickly, Ralph, too. Another one that... I hadn't really seen too much of live and seen too much good video of. I wasn't, I'd say I wasn't thoroughly impressed with him. I, I want to say maybe there was some adjustment from the last couple of years into what he's doing now to cut down on the strikeouts, but also to maybe sap some of the power. You know, we've seen this with guys like Austin Beck and some others where they kind of consolidate their lower, lower half to 
to help their approach a little bit more, but then the power kind of dissipates. The ISO goes down a little bit. And that's not concerning because he's at a, such a low level, which means yeah. to me that there's probably going to be some adjustment back. But again, it just sure. preach patience with, the, patience with a lot of these guys in the lower levels. If they make adjustments and you see power declines, maybe understand why. Maybe understand if it's a lower half thing and they're shortening up their front leg or something like that, sapping some of the power and then eventually maybe they start to go back. And I think that's a general natural curve for a lot of guys. They come in out of high school. They come in out of really low levels um, in Latin America and such and, and hit baseball really young and are like, great, I'm going to swing as hard as I can. I'm going to strike out 30% of the time, but I'm going to hit some balls further than anyone else seen. And then you start to get into higher levels and go, wow, I'm having a lot of trouble doing this and sustaining this with this approach. And that's where you get a lot of guys like Suli and Helio Ramos and others. So, and then Cabrian Hayes home run. Again, I just love Cabrian Hayes. But um, two too. guys I, I know too. you want to point out, Ralph. Um, both of I them. I had Cabrian in my top 100. For I, you, I know. You got him in there. I was very happy for that. Uh, but two of the guys you're about to mention, I, I was also impressed with. Um, so dig into them a little bit, Ralph. Yeah, I think, you know, number one, uh, the guy that I was most impressed with and I came away with saying, wow, I was wrong. I almost made a joke of him being in the game. But he's had a tremendous statistical season. But – I think there's always a, a little bit of doubt with um, someone like this, who is uh, of the Padres, you know, was a second round pick back in 2016 out of Florida. He was in that same team as Alonzo and, um, you know, Puck and India. And I mean, there was just a million guys on that team. That team was absolutely stacked. I think that was also Harrison Bader was on that team. Um Ah, oh, uh, Sean Anderson, who's also in the Futures game, was on that team. Mm-hmm. So there were there were three guys from that team in the Futures game. Not to mention some guys that were first round picks this year with Singer and and Cower and and some of those guys. You know what? Uh, what an unbelievable yeah, glass they've been churning out talent. So um, he's a guy that had struggled mightily uh, early on in his professional career. Only had you know six homers and uh, a little bit under thirty steals over the course of, let's say, about 130 games across a year and a half. Spent all year last year uh, in the Midwest League. Well, he was bumped up to the Cal League, Cal League Magic. But in, And let's just say, that take it with a grain of salt, because his BABIP is 400 right now. Um, but at the same time, he made some improvements, 12 homers, 33 steals. He's running a lot more. He certainly makes a lot of hard contact. That was much more important contact than I thought uh, he was going to have. He's a switch hitter, unbelievable athlete, plus um, fielding ability, plus plus speed. He might even be a plus plus fielder. And, you know, I, I think that it's it's one of these guys where we, we're easy to jump to a conclusion on what he's necessarily going to be as a professional player very, very early on in his career where I think we needed to see this guy make some adjustments. We, we should have kept in mind that he's, you know, uh, an excellent athlete, um, you know, an off the charts athlete. There's the, the defense there. That's a good baseline. It's going to push him a little bit and get him some more opportunities. And if it's just a matter of him tapping into a little bit more power and the numbers ticking up, then, you know, I think that's, uh, I think that's a huge improvement. And it looks like he, you know, tried to add some launch angle last year and has sort of settled into a, a much more happy medium this year and seems to, you know, have sort of the line drive, ground ball, fly ball baseline that I think with his speed will will play very well. Um, and he was sort of an engaging personality. I have to say that as well. If Absolutely. you watched it during the Futures game, he seemed like a fun guy. You heard the stories about, you know, he was actually a hockey player and I knew that because he yeah. went to high school in Rhode Island. He went to high school in um, Portsmouth. Portsmouth Abbey, I believe, is where he went which has produced a bunch of like, you know, 
NFL players and, and stuff like that. And, uh, he was actually a hockey player, which I think is kind of funny too. But, uh, he told the whole story about his mom making him hit left-handed like Bernie, Bernie Williams and modeled this whole swing after Bernie Williams and that whole thing. And I just thought it was, he's a fun player, but I think there's a lot of baseline skills there. You know, uh, he's coming down to earth a little bit in double a, but it's only been four games. Um, you know, the speeds there though, this guy is legitimate 30 steel speed in a, uh, a day and age where there isn't much of that. He's got the defensive value that I think he could push for one of those outfield spots long-term in San Diego. And he's an interesting player, especially if the power does continue here with San Antonio. I think it's one of the more intriguing uh, storylines to probably follow here in the second half is Buddy Reed for real. Absolutely. No, I agree with you on Buddy Reed. I think the personality really stood out with him. Uh, he robbed Fernando Tatis actually on a ball that Tatis actually scorched the other way, yeah. which was really – that showed the the glove that you're talking about. And I, I enjoyed him a lot. I think he's a guy who goes from being like maybe a, a below-average prospect to like an average one because you see the, a bunch of tools that could play up. He's probably going to stick in center field. I'd be surprised if he moves off that. He was recently promoted to, to AA San Antonio on the – I think actually like just before the Futures game. So I think he's had a very small sample yeah. there. Um there's probably some swing and miss there. I'm not really sure where the power comes out to at the end of the day or the hit tool, mm-hmm. but th- I think that there's tools here. I think he's a really interesting prospect. He's a guy yeah. who went from being pretty much like uh, uh, almost a throwaway, I guess, to some extent, to a guy who I think you have to have on radars at least now, and, and that's cool. big. And he also mentioned he also mentioned the fact that he always thought he was a power hitter. I think he said this in an interview on the in the dugout. Yeah, he, he said he's like I've always been a power. I get hit for power, and we've only seen that this year. He's ISO, you know, increased like fifty percent from one sixty to like two twenty five with with high Lake Elsinore, and then now he's up to double A. And obviously, again, small sample, we haven't really seen it come out, but he walks a little bit too. I, I like it. I like the package overall. I think that I think that maybe we underrate some of these guys who are really good gloves with really good speed and range and arm. Um, just because yeah. we're not sure on the fantasy side of things. But the positive with that is that he's going to buy himself playing time. If he stays in center field, like they're going to let him play. And if he figures out, if he can get to average hit tool, if he could be like a 260, 270 guy with really good speed and put up 15 to 20 home runs, which may be a little bit aggressive, but I think it's possible. Um, I like him. I think he's a good piece. Again, just a, it just adds just to the depth of the Padres system that he's probably not even top 10, 15 on this list, honestly. Yeah. And how far off And how far off is, is someone like Buddy Reed really from – um, you know, a Franchi Cordero, especially with the defensive value that he adds, he's an interesting guy with a lot of tools, some, you know, untapped power in his bat, some speed. Yep. Maybe that a lot of it translates a little bit better for Reed, maybe more on the speed side than it does in the power certainly has the glove value as well. Those guys get kind of exciting. once you get there, I chase power and speed. I had buddy Reed two thirty four. It's one of the ranks I regret a little bit. And I think it's going to happen when you rank 500 players immediately. You're like, wow, I wish I ranked this guy higher. Um, I would have probably get him within the top 200. I still don't think he's 150. I still would no, take I a four. I would take a Corey Ray over Buddy Reed just yep. because he's shown a little bit more power at the higher levels. He means pretty much a 2020 guy and a half a season this year with Corey Ray. He's had a really nice bounce back. Um, but I think they're they're an, they're an interesting combination. I think I actually heard a podcast with the 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 Welsh, and he had on uh, Eddie Almagar from yeah, um, yeah. Baseball Prospectus yep. and, and Formerly per, fake teams Prospect stuff. Fifteen Hundred. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's Eddie's phenomenal. We got to get Eddie's him on a good the show. Guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk to him. I want to get him on the show. We just got to figure out like what we we should have him on the show for. I know that we're always like a little cumbersome when it comes to having like a third person on our dynamic here, but no, we can um, figure it out. He Absolutely. also he also like enunciates and pronounces because he speaks he's bilingual so he, he he actually says all the names correctly. Oh, he can help us so much. That's what we need him on for. We just need to have like a spelling I, I lesson. Like, Eddie, pronunciation. Have you overdub all the words? Yeah. 
If he's listening, buttons, shout out to Eddie. Buttons like a stuff. keyboard. <laughs> exactly, exactly, like exactly. I'm yeah. just gonna, I'm gonna have you pronounce like announce uh, or excuse me, pronounce a bunch of different like uh, Hispanic names, and I'm just gonna hit a button just so that <laughs> I don't, I don't butcher it, and, and I don't sound bad, and we don't offend any of the players. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that honestly. But Eddie's a great guy, but. Um, yeah, Buddy Greed, yeah. Um, we were talking about him. And then Peter Alonzo, I don't know if you mentioned him, Ralph. Yes, yeah, no, I didn't get a chance to mention him. Really quickly, I, yeah. you know, I love Peter Alonzo. I had him, um, you know, another another Florida guy. I guess, you know, like yeah. I said, it's all it's all Gators all the time. I had him 39th in my, uh, my top 500. So I'm a big fan of Alonzo. I've been a big fan of Alonzo for a long time. It's funny, I moved him out of like the 150 at 100. And I just kind of flip-flopped, like, and I think it just speaks to like how close – like 75 to like one really is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was coming into the off season where I think at the end of the season, I had Alonzo in the top 100, but just you like other players more and things happen. But now he's back at the top 100. He's not going anywhere. He's in the top 50. I like the power that he has here. He gives insanely goofy interviews. He seems like, I think, <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> I think I said this on Twitter. He seems like your friend that would break your bong in college, but you couldn't be mad at him because he's such a goofball. You're yep. like, of course, Peter broke the bong. I mean, have you seen the dude? <laughs> like, that's what his personality's like. But he's got thunder in the bat. And oh, yeah. I thought it was really interesting that he had the highest exit velocity with the highest launch angle that they had ever seen. Yeah. They had like never measured 43 a homer, degrees, right? It's like that launch angle with that exit velocity in history, which I thought was like, that's crazy. It just speaks to like what Alonzo is. One thing I will say, because he's a property of the Mets. They want to move Cespedes to first. Do you think this screws with his development long term? <sighs> That's a really good question, mainly because I, I doubt he's a really good defender. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't think it screws with his development because I think so much of his development is based on his bat, I'll say. So I have faith that some of these guys can find a spot regardless. But it does complicate things to some extent. I, I don't know Cespedes' contract situation. Are they <laughs> yeah, like, come on. Like, I mean, that just goes back to the little Dom Smith thing. Dom Smith has always been a good hitter, but just, I mean, he I give him the full time role. It's at some point, like a team that bad that's not contending. I always get annoyed when they have prospects that are ready that they just don't give them like 80 games. Like, here you go, here's 80 games, see what you can do. You know, give us a sample of what you can do at the major league level. And I just, I'd be bummed to see him platoon. Like, he's clearly a guy who could. I think take the reins on a full-time job. I know his K rate kind of went North when he jumped up to triple a, which I was a little bit surprised by. I'm not sure. I, I'm kind of surprised with that. Honestly, I don't know. I think that might be more of a fluke than anything just because I, I doubt Binghamton is too much of a difference from Las Vegas in terms of what the actual pitching is. Maybe it is. I, Eastern league. Eh, well, I could be wrong on that, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's played any outfield ever, right? I'm looking at his fingers right now and now he's always played first base. So it's not like they're going to start playing him in the outfield. He's not a good runner at all. I doubt he has good range. He's doesn't really have the greatest arm. So, I mean, <laughs> it's weird that the movie sets the first base because it does kind of block him now. The Mets are just going to accumulate these first base talent to keep him in Las Vegas, I guess. I don't really know. <laughs> I, I have unfortunately no idea. Don't yeah. know. It, it doesn't totally make sense. Yeah, the batting average is a little wacky, but I mean, he also has a 190 BABIP and he's never had anything under 314 throughout his minor league career. So yeah. I'm going to say that that's, that's an anomaly because he's still hit for power. I mean, his ISO is still 248. It hasn't dropped off um, from what his numbers are. The walk rate is right in line. What he was doing in Triple A, I mean Double A, uh, and he does have seven homers throughout 27 games. So mm-hmm. you know he obviously had that three homer game; it was a big part of it. But um, I think it's just a matter of the ball dropping for him, and he's he's caning a little bit more. It might be you know he's pushing or whatever. 
Um, so adjusting to some of the pitchers, but I don't worry too much about Alonzo. He's done a good job of sort of, you know, moving through the, the minors over this last year and a half. And uh, at 23 years old with the power that he has, he's right on the cusp of the majors. So I don't think there's any reason to jump ship or get too concerned uh, with a small sample size. Absolutely. I agree with that for sure. Um, and we're going to close out the show now, Ralph, with kind of a, a little tangent on some some lower minors guys. Maybe I'm going to specifically talk about some of the guys I've seen because I've seen four away in a bit in the last awesome. couple of weeks. And then uh, you can jump into some other guys. I know you have some names down here that I can't say I know too, too much about. But um, uh, you do mention Kyle Isbell here, who is who's a name I do know and some other guys. So I'll yeah. start with like maybe three guys and I'll kick it back to you. and We'll kind of rotate back and forth. Cool. Like um, so the first guy I want to talk about, obviously, I, I saw Peoria. Um, last weekend, I got to take a look at uh, Alaris Montero. I learned how to say his first name. Very happy about that. I always thought it was Elhiris or something. I think it's Elhiris. I thought it, maybe it's Alaris. I don't, one or the other. See, I still don't even know, honestly. But uh, third baseman for the Cardinals. He's a little bit lower down. I don't think he's fits on many top ten lists. But the interesting trend with the Cardinals is that they've acquired a lot of third base talent, which I don't think they've really had too much in their in their history in the last couple of years. They had Scotty Rowland a while back. You know, Matt Carpenter's been over there a couple of times. Like, they've had talent there, but they like, Zach Cox was a, a, a third-base prospect from, I think they got from the Marlins ages ago that just never panned out. Everyone thought he was going to be pretty good. But now they have guys like Alaris Montero. They have Nolan Gorman. Then they have Malcolm Nunez, who they signed on international. Um, they pay the max they can for him at 300000 for Malcolm Nunez. And Gorman, obviously, is a guy that I've loved for a while. Johnson City right now, he's hitting pretty well. He's walking a lot, which I like to see. But Alaris is interesting because he's, he's kind of one of these guys. I initially, I saw him at the Midwest League All-Star game in Lansing, and I didn't think he was big per se because that's always the thing I heard was that he's a little bit thick for a guy who's still 19, I think. Um, and then I saw him in Peoria for some reason. And I started to understand maybe that wasn't physically big, but it's physically big, and it kind of slows him down elsewhere on the field. He's not the greatest defender. You know, his swing is beautiful. He's like a 300 hitter consistently across every level he's played at. I, I don't expect that to really tail off if he jumps to Springfield and other spots. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's bats plus. I'm just not sure where the power ends up long term. I know a lot of people are, are kind of interested by him because he's not really a top like 150, even 200 guy. He's probably in that 200 to 400 range. I'm not sure where you had him, but um, I had 156. You had 156. Okay, so he's right I in think, that window. I think the bat. I just think the bat plays and the yeah, fact yeah. that you know he's a corner uh, infield guy with some pop and some contact, and he's been so consistent. I mean, I think his lowest yeah, month yeah. this year. Was June he hit like two eighty five? He makes like he that. makes he has like the natural ability to barrel everything. He uh, mm. the Peoria game was delayed. It was low scoring. There was one basically one hard hit ball by a, a Peoria player who's kind of more organizational for the Cardinals. And then then uh, Alaris had two bombs. Like he had two balls. I think deep left center and then to the track too. And it was just mm. like he just barrels up everything. He's one of those guys who just kind of drops his bat in the zone. And you're like, well, there's another hard hit ball. He doesn't really swing and miss it a lot either. He's he's an encouraging prospect. He's one of those guys where you really hope that maybe something else in terms of a skill set comes together um, with Montero. And then jumping over to Fort Wayne, all the guys I'm gonna mention now are Fort Wayne after Alaris. But um, Mackenzie Gore, obviously, I got a chance to sit down and talk with him twice. Really, really reserved guy. He's very quiet. Um, but he, his talent, I think there's an interesting parallel between his, his on-field presence and how electric his delivery is, how eccentric it is, how aesthetically pleasing a lot of his pitches are, and then the emotion he shows on the mound because he's, he's had some moments I've seen from him where he gets really jacked up in the mound. But then you see him off the field and he's really reserved, doesn't really have too many hobbies. I got to dig into a little bit of his personal life. He lived with uh, – he committed to East, East Carolina University with Cliff Godwin there. Um, and he lived with him in the offseason. He'll be doing that again this year. Um, he, he's an interesting guy. You know, he's quiet. I think that the Padres also are just a little bit close to the vest with a lot of things. So I couldn't really dig anything out of him in terms of the blister or anything. But since he comes, since he came off the DL from that the second stint 
with the blister problem. He's 35 strikeouts over 28 innings. He had 10 strikeouts over the weekend, which is a career high for him. He's gone, I believe, five or six innings in each of his last couple starts, which is something he hadn't done at all prior. So already he seems like a guy that can get through five or six innings in lower levels like this, which I'm extremely encouraged by. He's one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. I really was pleased with what I've seen on multiple occasions with him in person. You know, I only saw him in person pitch once. I'm going to make sure I get back out and see him. Um, I, I just like him a lot. You know, he's got a plus curveball, I think. I think a lot of people projected out that changeup as being the plus pitch presently. He doesn't throw that too much from what I've been perceiving. Maybe it's, again, one of those scenarios where lower levels you don't necessarily need a plus changeup because he can get guys out with his pinpoint command. He's not walking a lot. Really good fastball command. So he's going to get guys out with that fastball on the curveball. The curveball plays up with both sides of the plate. It's affected both lefties and righties. He's probably untouchable, I think, to most extent for lefties. And then the slider's another interesting pitch, too. That's a little bit higher 80s for him. Didn't really throw too much, but he got one really good whiff when I saw him on Independence Day. Um, I really like Gore overall. I, I haven't. I don't think my stock has changed a lot. I think I still have him as like a like a top thirty ish guy, um, maybe top twenty five. I know you have him a little bit lower just because of the fantasy side of things, which is very understandable. But in terms of pedigree around him, this is this is the premier pitching talent I think in this system. Does he have ace potential? Yes, I think he has ace potential. Mm-hmm. But I think that he's a guy who you mix that ace potential with. Maybe it's a little bit lower. Maybe that outcome is like ninety fifth percentile that he ends up at as a pure true ace, like a like a top twelve pitcher Bauer style. You know, maybe older in his career but the thing with Gore that's appealing is that he has a bunch of pitches that he can throw presently I'd say he has more pitches he can throw presently than a guy like Hunter Greed that's what's encouraging to me because he's so young he has all these pitches I think the floor mixed in with this upside for him is just gorgeous in terms of a pitching prospect lefty really like him I think he's He's, he's good. I'm, I'm really excited to see him jump up the Lake Elsinore and some other places. I'm not exactly sure in terms of his development time frame. I wouldn't guess maybe they stick him in Fort Wayne for the rest of the season. Or maybe they give him like one or two starts at Lake Elsinore at the end of the year. But um, aside from him, another arm in Fort Wayne, Luis Patino. I'm going to jump down before I get into the hitters here. Um, I was talking to the media relations guy for Fort Wayne, and he told me that his scouts uh, – talking about Luis Patino. He's fluent in English, too, which I didn't know. He's from Colombia, I believe. But um, – uh, scout told the media relations guy that he's just taken the F off. Literally, those are the verbatim words that the scout told the media relations guy. And uh, he's been really, really impressive. A um, little bit undersized at six foot. He's a little, honestly, Mackenzie Gory on his mechanics too, which is kind of funny. I don't know if yeah. this is like a thing that they've talked about. I actually should have asked that to Gore, but I'm, I'm sure Gore, Gore is very reserved in a lot of the answers he gave me. So I, I doubt he would kind of draw too much of a parallel there. But 30% K to 7% walk in 52 innings. He hasn't allowed a home run, which is thoroughly impressive. Fastball slider change up on Patino. Um, he's a guy who's kind of blown up. I think a lot of people are considering him possibly maybe one of the top two or three pitching prospects in the system now, even ahead of guys like Michelle Baez, which, again, very debatable, even Adrian Marejon, too. Wow. But um, I don't know. I still like Baez and Marejon maybe a little bit more, yeah. but it seems like <laughs> a guy. I, I'm just a little bit concerned with Patino more so than other guys, where if he moves up, how does this stuff play up? Like, do his Ks drop to like eight, seven and a half per nine, or is he going to stick around this 30%? And I, that's the biggest question mark for me specifically because of the size, honestly. I don't mean to downgrade him for his size. I think his delivery makes him look a little bit bigger than he is. But um, I think there's concerns with him at higher levels. But right now, it's really hard to fade anything Luis Patino in terms of stock goes. Um, do you have any comments on any of, the, any of those guys, Ralph, or do you want to jump into yeah, some of these Patino, guys you're about? Patino top three, I think, is really aggressive in that yeah, system. I agree. You got Paddock, you got Gore. You got Michelle Baez, you got Maury Han, you have Logan Allen, who's been phenomenal through the upper levels, and then, you know, Cal Quantrill, who I think everyone thinks is at least a mid rotation guy. And then I think, yep. you know, I, I would sort of put him in that same range as like uh, Jacob Nix, Anderson Espinosa, who we haven't seen throw in a while. And then I guess we'll see what comes of sort of uh, Ryan Weathers. But yes. they have some interesting they have some interesting names. You got like guys like Reggie Lawson. I mean, that that system is just Loaded. flush with arms <laughs> and 
really, really interesting talents. Um, another system that has some interesting talents and a low level guy that I, uh, am somewhat fascinated with at the moment. And that would be, uh, that would be Gene Carmona of, um, of the Padres, uh, excuse me, the Padres, the Brewers system. What the heck is going on here? I'm trying to <laughs> trying to search my top, my top 500 so I can just pull up his name again. But for some reason, the list isn't uh, cooperating with me today. Oh, anyway. So, uh, Gene, Gene Carmona of, uh, of, of the, the Brewers, um, one of my favorite prospects, <laughs> oh my God! I have no idea why you have him two thirty six for me. Two thirty six. Yeah, I have him two thirty six. I, I just have no idea why the list is searchable. It's only searching the comments for me right now. No worries. It's just making me absolutely crazy. But uh, anyway, so um, the thing that I like about Carmona is switch hitter uh, makes a lot of a lot of good contact. Has some nice natural loft to his swing. He's got the glove to stick in the middle infield, and he's got kind of a funny pivot to his front plant foot. Um, but there's no timing issues as of yet. The swing is a little long. He's got, you know, he has a tendency to sort of get ahead in the ball and, and from time to time, we kind of beat stuff in the ground. Um, but he does have relatively decent contact. There's a lot of power that, that can play there. Um, and he just barrels up a, a ton of pitches, raw guy, you know, but I, I love these shortstops, switch hitting teenager. There's some pop in the bat, you know, the reports that you read, um, uh, you know, across the board are pretty good. Now I haven't seen Carmona in person, but I haven't been to any games in two weeks with family and stuff and a million other things going on. So I can't talk to, to any of these guys on an actual, uh, eyes in the ground basis, at least with Carmona. But, um, I do think he's an interesting guy. Somebody that you probably want to add in fantasy just because he gets, uh, a lot of Gene Segura comps. And I don't know if that's Brewers in the first name, but the body's pretty similar um, that he's more of a short, stout kind of guy. I do think there's some power there. Probably not plus power, but potentially above average. And uh, I think he's a guy with a decent hit tool. I mean, he's not he's not Wander Franco blowing up the charts, but <laughs> I do think that he's an interesting player and a guy that should be owned in you know most deep dynasty formats. Um, another guy I wanted to mention as well was somebody that I actually saw back in Florida. If you remember when I was down there uh, at the end of March and I got to take in a couple of those IMG classic games for the second yep. week when they had that tournament. And I got to see blaze Alexander play there. His brother um, actually uh, CJ Alexander was at Manatee community college or, or Manatee County community college, whatever that one is called or um, Sarasota. It's, it's one of those schools down mm-hmm. there. Cause I know there's a community college and then state college of Florida or something like that. I know Jason Woodell will probably correct me on this one, but they were within the same town. They were both in Bradenton, Sarasota area. CJ was a late round pick of the Braves, who's actually had a really nice beginning to his professional career. He's hitting the ball really, really hard. Go check out CJ Alexander. But today we're going to talk about Blaze. Blaze has an absolute rocket. I believe that he had one, he was one or two for the highest um, velocity at, uh, amongst his class at the perfect game um, stuff you know, uh, back in 2017, he's got an absolute howitzer, uh, from shortstop. He's got some on base ability. He's got some contact ability. Uh, the power at this point, I think is more projectable. He's going to have to grow into that. I don't know how much he necessarily has, but he does have good feel to hit. And I think he's a guy that could stick at shortstop. The diamondbacks got him in the 11th round, but I think it's pretty easy. If you look at where he was ranked, uh, within, you know, top 100, top 500 draft prospect list, he was probably a top five round talent. And there was some question as to whether or not 
um, he would, you know, he would end up, you know, going to school and not, and not signing. Well, he did sign and he's done well so far. Um, I know the on, the on base numbers are pretty good. He's stolen a few bases yet to, yet to hit any homers. You know, he's one of these guys that's, uh, got a, uh, a higher, uh, on base, uh, than slugging. But ultimately I think that he's a guy that's pretty interesting and kind you know, Arizona kind of had some sneaky picks. I know that they didn't sign Matt McLean, yeah, the first round pick, but they had some sneaky picks in this draft. And I think that blaze Alexander is one of them. Um, I know that some people think that he's a second baseman as well. He's played third base. He's played some second base. He's played some shortstop, but I do think he's going to stick on the left side of the infield just to the fact that he has that cannon of an arm. Uh, but one of the other things that stuck out to me this is what I wanted to bring up was 19.3% walk rate to a 19.3% K yeah. rate. Um, so not a ton of power right now. The ISO is 0.079, 333 average, 42 on base. And this is a guy that's coming out of IMG Academy. He's 19 games into his professional career. That's age appropriate for the AZL. Just an interesting name to kind of throw out there. And somebody that I did get some looks at, um, he had a, a, na- he had a, a serious double. He drove a ball to the gap and showed off some of his wheels um, when I saw him in that, that IMG Classic. But I didn't get a ton of looks at him. I did see the arm. One last guy I want to bring up here before I kick it back over to you, Lance, mm-hmm. is somebody that I was super aggressive on in my list. He was within the top 200, and that would be 18-year-old switch-hitting shortstop prospect in the – uh, Tigers organization. That'd be when seal Perez, uh, Perez is, um, like I said, a switch hitter plays a little second base, plays some shortstop as well. Um, mostly short though. And he was just promoted to Connecticut. Actually, I haven't gotten a look at him yet. He's only had four games there since being promoted last week, but in his first 20 games, uh, in the GCL, he was slashing 382, 462, 543 with a Homer, 20 runs, 14 RBIs, 12.9% walk rate to a 15.1% K rate. Um, I know there were stellar reports about him. He actually struck out less than he, uh, than he walked last year in the, in the G excuse me, in the uh, Dominican summer league. And he was a guy that really stuck out to Ben Badler when we had talked about some guys that were coming over here and debuting stateside that had had some pretty uh, intriguing performances uh, in the Dominican summer league. And Wenzel Perez was one of them. So, I like him a lot. Um, mix, mixes sort of uh, fly balls, ground balls, line drives pretty well. Spray chart is okay. He's been kind of pull heavy in the first few games that he's had uh, in Connecticut. But overall, I really like him. I like the swing. Um, he's an athletic guy. I think he's he's definitely an up-and-coming player on all lists, but particularly on that Tigers list when you look at the fact that you know what he did uh, in the stateside debut, the fact that he's 18 and the fact that he's a switch hitter. There's a lot of talent in the middle infields right now. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of depth there in terms of what you're looking at in terms of building out fantasy teams. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, I won't go too crazy here. I'll try to run high level thoughts on four hitters with Fort Wayne that I think a lot of people are probably interested in. Estereo Ruiz, Tirso, Tirso Arnelas, Jason Rosario, and Gabriel Arias. Um, got looks at all these guys twice. I've I've seen them all. Actually, I only saw Asteri once, and then I saw some BPAs in the second game. But um, I want to start with Terso because I really like Terso. I think that he's the prospect of all these guys that stands out the most to me. I believe you have him ranked the highest on your top 500, which I, w- I was very pleased to see that there's some consensus on that. I, I really like what I saw in terms of the age appropriateness of a lot of the things he does, where his strikeout rate is in relation to his walk rate. 
how polished his bat path is. I really like how he relaxes his hands. I think there's potential for plus power there with average hit. Um, I'm not sure if this is going to be a guy who's going to be like a 35 home run guy. Like even I don't even think he possesses as much power as like a guy like Frenchy Cordero, but I, I don't think he has anywhere near the same swing and miss as Frenchy Cordero. And that's one of the huge things for me because the thing that you run into a lot in the Midwest League is the guys who are striking out a pretty good amount. And I think that translates to guys like Gabriel Arias and even some of the others on this um, on this team in particular who are striking out above 20%. And Terso is one of the few who's below 20%. His approach is great. He knows how his pitch recognition for his age, I think, is is substantially and it was impressive to me in terms of what I saw in, in the very small sample. Um, and and I just really like where he is in terms of the youth, the the correlation between these youth and where his powers and his approaches. So he's the guy I like the most um, out of all the guys I've seen bat wise specifically for for Fort Wayne. And then two guys who I'm still a little bit torn with. I still want to get more looks. I will be getting more looks. But Estee Ruiz and Jason Rosario. Um, with Asteri, he's really interesting because I know a lot of people are really aggressive on him. I know you like him a lot, Ralph. He's He's got a little bit smaller of a stature. His stance is a little bit crouched. His hands are a little high. I think he's got really good bat speed. I think he gets the Alfonso Soriano comp because he ends up. he's probably going to end up at second base long term, but he's not that good of a defender. Um, I'm not sure if I see that much power there. I could see it developing. I think my, my biggest concern maybe is that, and this kind of goes for Jason Rosario too, is that where exactly the lower half develops and how much power actually gets into him. He's 32 for 40 on the baggers right now. He's got eight home runs in 80 games. I think right now, at presently, it's kind of more like maybe like a 12 to 15 home run bat, but I think he could get to like an 18, 20 home run bat. And that's the appeal of him because I'm not sure if 32 for 40 and what is that? Probably like around like 75%-ish, a little bit over that. Success rate on the base path really translates to like 30 steel speed at probably more like 18 to 20. But again, against steals are almost always a, a game of intent. So if they want to let him run and they think he can run, sure. But they might even be more willing to let another guy on the team run, like a like a Travis Jankowski-style guy. Let him run is a thing we've seen Preller probably do more so than just let a position player run a ton. Um, but but Asteri's interesting as well. I think that he's probably two in terms of how I'd rank these guys. And then I'd put Jason Rosario probably three. Jason Rosario is a little bit different of a prospect from my opinion just because he, he's got no stride. He's a lefty. He's a little bit more kind of like the top of lineup guy. I know they had him down batting like 3-4 in the lineup on occasion. Um, he, he's played really well, I believe, over the last couple of days. I think he went like 4-5 for five the other day. He's, he, he, I don't, oh, he's walking 14% of the time, which is probably one of the bigger appeals for him. But um, I, I think, again, this goes back to the fact that that's a really nice plus, but there's, there's no stride in his front leg. There's, there's really no projection for power there for me right now, unless he adjusts that. And that's probably my biggest concern. Whereas I could see a little bit of projection of the power with his stereo ease, and I think that's probably why I have him above Jason Rosario. Jason Rosario's hit tool presently might be a little bit better. His approach might be a little bit better. But my concern, again, this goes back to what we were talking about, guys like Helio Ramos, where they adjust their swing down, and there's been no power for Jason Rosario. So if he's... If, if this is the Jason Rosario we're seeing longer term, they don't get him off that front leg. It, sure, he might be able to sustain like a 10 to 12% walk rate, which is really, really nice. But if it comes with a max of like 8 to 12 home runs, and I know power plays up, but if that's what he's doing at the major league level, say, in a couple years or whatever, then I'm not like completely enticed with him. And that's probably where my biggest concern is. Um, it, do the strikeouts jump up to like 25%, 28% if they get him off that leg and they try to get him into more power. So... Um, with all these guys, though, again, they're really, really, really young. It's just going to be one of those things where you have to keep up with them. Like, I, my impressions are my impressions right now, but I, I basically have to reassess myself every month and a half to two months with these guys, see how they're developing, see how they're playing. And I think that's one of the keys I've learned in the Midwest League, whereas out in, out in the Eastern League, a lot of the ball we watched, Ralph, was like, 
these guys are, are, are pretty close. Like we've seen guys, especially like Bowie yeah. jump up to, to Baltimore in one stride and make a leap. And we were like, okay, good. Like they were present talent. Even a guy like Juan Soto got up to Harrisburg. And the next thing you know, he got called up to the major leagues. And those guys are the more present. Like you put Brandon Rogers in the, in, in the majors right now. Like he'd probably an average hitter, I think, you know, maybe a little yeah. bit below average, maybe, maybe on the cusp of that. I think he probably has to get some reps at Albuquerque, whatever, but there's a lot of guys like that. Yeah, that, I think it might be being conservative, honestly. And, but then you go down to the Midwest League, and a lot of these guys are just a lot rawer. You know, like you put any of these guys in the major leagues right now, they're well below average hitters. And it's, it's one of those things, like it's cool developmentally for me in terms of just watching games. Um, I like it a lot. And the last guy I briefly want to mention is Gabriel Arias. Um, probably fourth of, of these four guys for me. He's, his glove is fantastic. He's got a really, really good arm, electric arm. I'd probably grade it as like 60, 70. Um, not, maybe not 70, probably more like 60. I've seen some guys with stronger arms. But, but his range is great. His feel is great. He's made some really nice plays. That's where he stands out most to me. And on the fantasy side of things, maybe that's a little bit concerning. But I like him. I think that it's a project more than anything right now. I know he killed it. I know he had some unbelievable stats at lower levels. That if he went out there, uh, Australia was it or something like that. And he hit really, really, really well, and the power he showed did, up. Yeah, um, it's not showing up right now. It's a stiff swing for me a little bit. Seeing it in person, it's, it's. I, I want to draw the comp purely aesthetically, just to like a Carlos Correa with none of the parts of Correa being there in terms of the production, but just how he holds his hands, how stiff his back is, and his posture at the plate. Um, the swing is much longer than any of the other three guys, Asteri, Terso, or Jason. Um, we, even with Terso, too, Terso's swing is probably a little bit longer, but his pitch recognition is really, really good. His barrel control is really good, but and he's able to square balls up much better than Gabriel Arias. So um, I'm a little bit concerned with Gabriel Arias just because I'm not – this is more of a project. Like I think we could see maybe where the future yeah. value is in the other three, whereas with Arias, it's like, great, he's a really good defender, but like if they have Tatis and they have Arias and they have some other guys – in that infield, like, are they really going to bring up a guy like Arias eventually in four or five years down the road unless he really changes the approach-wise? And I think there's potential for it. Like, guys are really good defenders. Like, they're good athletes. Like, maybe this is a situation like a, a, like a, an Indrelton Simmons light where really good defender for a really long time and then all of a sudden he starts to walk a lot, really refines his approach, and now he's like a one of the best players in baseball, one of the most underrated players in baseball in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could see that with Arias. Again, this is another scenario where you just got to check in. I want to be checking in with these guys a lot just because I want to make sure I'm up to date with my opinions on them. Yeah, I love him this offseason, and I definitely moved him down uh, quite a bit on this this most recent update. I had him at 266, but I think you're right. I think we got to keep in mind how young all these guys are. The fact that there's still two or three years for them to really develop their offensive game. And there's a really nice baseline. I think it's the same thing with Jason Rosario, where he's such a good athlete, and his lower half, as you said, is so raw. There's so much more that can be done that – they can sort of increase the power because we've heard that he has, you know, average to above average raw power in batting practice. That's always been sort of one of the things that's been said about him for a year and a half. Yeah. If they're able to tap into that a little bit more and then sort of curve back any of the subsequent, um, you know, negative side effects of the swing and miss that may come with that, he's got a really nice baseline of skills in terms of, you know, speed and of course, the on-base ability and the pitch recognition that comes with that. It might even not be so bad if he was a little bit more aggressive. Who knows? Maybe this, this sometimes what happens is the strikeout rates, rate stays the same. The batting average climbs and the power climbs. Just a matter of yep. him knowing which pitches to hit. I know that was one of the things that uh, was made an adjustment with Eugenio Suarez, that he started to hit stuff mm. more in the outer part of the plate. 
and he was able to drive and get his barrel on because of what his plate coverage was. And I think he'd even talked about a year ago when he had that first breakout early in 2017, that that was one of the things that he made an adjustment on and changed on. I think that we're so far away from what the major league player is on guys like Arias and Rosario and Astoria Ruiz, that we have to look at this baseline of skills, age appropriate, what the challenge was that they haven't completely failed at. I mean, this isn't like Mason Martin, who was applied to a, uh, which is a, a, a Pirates prospect with a lot of power, who killed the GCL last year, who was then assigned to a full season affiliate and struggled mightily that they've, they've moved him down to the Appy League. And now he's sort of age appropriate. He's hitting again in the Appy League, but he struggled heavily in the Saudi League because he just wasn't level for that, ready for that level of competition. I can't think, or, or excuse me, I, I don't think that we should be so quick to necessarily dismiss what the upside could still be here. But I do think that we have to temper our expectations as well, because um, I know myself certainly included, especially with a lot of these Padres prospects, I can, I can get a little bit caught up in the moment and get a little bit too excited. Speaking of that, a player that I am a little too caught up in the moment on and am very excited about is a former center fielder for UNLV he was a third round draft pick of the Kansas City Royals. He's already in full season ball with Lexington. He's a Sully Mateus teammate, teammate of MJ Melendez and that team that Lance got to see. Really yeah. exciting team. Lance got to see about a month, month plus back. Mm-hmm. That would be Kyle Isbell, um, a left-handed out, uh, hitting outfielder. Really, really interesting player. Um, this year at UNLV, he had kind of matched the power and the approach and the contact very nicely. Only 43 Ks to 34 walks this year at UNLV while hitting for double-digit uh, power. Already had his first homer within his first few games. Um, I think his first at-bat, right? Uh, was it his first yeah, at-bat? I, I wasn't sure I if it so. was his first at-bat. Um, I know it was. I could confirm that yesterday or the day before mm-hmm. um, it must've been his first at bat. I'm watching the Homer right now. It was in the first inning with no out. So I think he led off the game. That's crazy. Uh, the second pitch of, <laughs> and it was a shot. It was an absolute shot to right center. He put it off the board there um, in, in Lexington. So did you see the game in Lexington? Right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I went into yeah, Lexington. So, it's, it's a nice park. So, yeah. So it's, he put it, it plays off, up a little big, honestly. Yeah. He put it off the scoreboard, which is, pretty deep out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. His swing, his swing, he's a lefty hitter. His swing reminds me a little bit. And this is kind of crazy considering, you know, I love this guy of Andrew Benintendi. Um, Interesting. Let me see. The bat path is similar. I think that his, the transition of his weight, uh, where his hands are is similar that they're sort of like um, shoulder level. Um, you know, he's a little bit open and he closes off as he, as he, as he's, uh, uh, as he starts to, you know, move, toward the ball and transition yeah. his weight. And, you know, and he, and he sort of, his hips transition very nicely, very similar to Benintendi. And that's high praise for me because I love the swing. I honestly would rank Kyle Isbell higher on my top 500. I had him below threes. And I think that was reflective really of my first year player draft ranks. But the problem is that with doing early first year player draft ranks is outside of like the top 12 to 13, there's a lot of guys that are bunched together that one guy could really leapfrog another guy by 20, 25 spots within a couple of weeks, just based on the looks and sort of the stuff that maybe is being exposed at the, at the, you know, um, the early onset of their professional career. Isbell is a guy I think is really, really interesting. And the Royals don't have all that many exciting prospects. They seem to all be on this Lexington team. So he's a guy that I would keep an eye on, especially uh, as we, you know, head here toward the end of the season, the last couple months of the season. And we see ultimately 
um, where this guy maybe ends up in first year player draft ranks if he continues to hit, because if he hits for power and hits for average and, you know, as a solid fielder um, at a full season level, you know, weeks outside of, you know, uh, amateur ball, I think he's a guy that you definitely have to chase uh, in your first year player drafts and in your dynasty leagues. And maybe he comes at a little discounted price in comparison to some of the bigger names, but he's an interesting player and UNLV is a good program. I mean, they have Bryson Stott, who we know is a big 2019 draft guy. He's on the U S national team. I got a couple looks at him in Cape Cod. Hopefully I sneak out to the Cape Cod uh, all-star game this weekend. Yeah. Last guy I wanted to mention, this is purely number scouting 100% though. I'm going to get some looks. I'm going to go to a game tomorrow. I'm going to get a game on Sunday. So I'll have some looks for the next show. I promise you got to give me a couple of weeks off here to deal <laughs> with the family. But, um, Louis Santana of the Mets, 19 year old, uh, another, uh, I, I, I'm almost positive. He didn't No, He's a lefty bat. He's not a switch hitter. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm almost positive. He's a, he's a lefty bat and not a, not a switch hitter. Uh, no, I, I know he's, I'm, I'm almost positive here that he's a lefty, but I'm just totally, uh, I'm even wrong about that. He's a freaking right. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so anyway, so like I said, I, I haven't seen Louis Santana, but the numbers look really, really good. And he's a guy at 19 that's hitting well in the Appy league, more walks than he has strikeouts. Uh, the K rates actually under 10%, not the biggest guy. Um, you know, pretty limited in terms of what the power is going to be, but I think it's more of a hit tool profile, maybe a little bit like a Louis Urias, but um, he's somebody that I think, you know, maybe should be in our radars. I'm certainly going to try to dig into a little bit more um, and hope that maybe somebody gets some, some firsthand looks at him because he's tough to even find any video on, but I wanted to bring him up just because the numbers are pretty good. And uh, he's somebody I think is uh, pretty interesting. Absolutely. This has been a good show, Ralph. I think we, we usually, uh, we, we got a routine down to the point where we were hitting like hour right at an hour. And now we went a little over. I feel like this is one of the throwback shows where we, uh, we dig into some guys a little bit deeper than we usually do. So I think that, I think people like that. I think that people it's miss the, the, the organizational ranks where we go 15 deep and talk for an hour and a half. So <laughs> it's cause I got a time limit and I'm going to get yelled at. Let's hope, <laughs> let's hope that I'm still going to the, the hall of fame. But go to the hall of fame, Ralph. We'll go. let everyone go. Take care. Everybody right. enjoy the rest of your weekend. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.